There are certain rules to running a horror movie franchise into the ground. First, quantity over quality. Every so often you'll luck out with a fan favorite once expectations are low. You want people to log into Tubi and feel like they need to catch up, so try for at least one movie a year. Second, change up the creative teams. Too much vision or consistency means you have to leave numbers in the title. People just want to say, ooh, another one, and dive in. Too much continuity feels like homework, especially when you can just shoehorn a few Easter eggs into some spec script. Third, when all hope is lost, you've been to the city, you've been to space, go back in time. Prequel, baby. That horse is beaten and dead, so go back to the farm it came from. And now, the Amityville Podcast looks at Scream. Welcome back to the Amityville Horror Podcast. I am Tom. I am Pat. And this week, we're taking on Scream 2. Electric Boogaloo. You know, I feel like this that's one thing this franchise could have used is subtitles sure. or like tags. Mm-hmm. Uh, but eh. yeah. they skipped it from the beginning, so why start now? You kind of you just don't get them anymore. It's no. kind of well, The Conjuring does like yeah. little subtitles still. I think um, Conjuring does it so that you're not seeing the numbers, which I think was a lot of the appeal of subtitles mm-hmm. for a while anyway. Yeah. But then you need the numbers to know what order to watch them in if there's continuity. Yeah. No, that's what I loved about like Friday the 13th and Nightmare on Elm Street. Belt and suspenders. Here's the number. Here's the subtitle. Yep. And Elm Street did it from the get-go. Yes. Uh, Friday the 13th wasn't until arguably three, but really four. Yeah. Well, but In three. 3D. Well, I guess. <laughs> it's, yeah, it, it depends if you count that as part of the title or not. Yeah. But no, I guess you get it. Friday the 13th, 3D. Yeah. So it's all just one big thing for me. But yeah, no, they don't do it, which is okay to just do the numbers or just do the subtitles. But I hate just, we're just going to not even put a year. We're just going to say, okay, now it's Halloween. Like yeah. Halloween 2018 was just Halloween. Candyman 2021 or 22 yeah. was just Candyman. It's like, guys, come on. Yeah. And that'll come into play uh, when we get to start the later screams. Oh, enough. So. Uh, there's discussion to be had in and outside of the movies on that. Yeah. Don't they start... Haven't they started using Roman numerals to try to fuss with things? Or no, it's in... Like, the Roman numeral is in, like, the A and stuff. Um, for one of the more recent ones. If I remember right, Scream 4 had the A as the 4. 5 was just Scream. Uh-huh. And then 6 does the... It's in, in the M. Yeah, yeah, It's yeah, the yeah, Roman yeah, numeral yeah, in the M. Yeah. I. Which... Let's even let's, let's like a different level of pretension there. Uh-huh. It's like we're trying to act like we're not even doing it when we're full throatedly doing it. Oh, but they're doing it knowing that they're doing the not doing it thing. Yeah, that's fair. It's uh, it's a half wing. They're still completely winning in comparison to Fantastic. Wow, that was a bad one. It yeah. was bad, especially because it wasn't even the fourth one. Nope, nope. It was that well. Well, actually, technically, it was. Yeah, I guess. Well, the Corman ones are tough. If you yeah, like Corman's that, which tough. I've never yeah. seen it. But yeah, it's Roger Corman, two with Yoan Griffith, Michael Chiklis, Chris Evans, and Jessica Alba. Mm-hmm. And then the technically the fourth live action Fantastic Four movie. Yeah. That's it's really arguably the first as far as they were concerned for the new friend. And um, much but much more importantly, it was the last. Yeah. That movie is horrendously bad. There has not been a good Fantastic Four movie that's no. an actual Fantastic Four movie. Now, there's The Incredibles 1 and 2. But. The Incredibles... Well, there's The Incredibles 1. <laughs> I love both of them. One is, one is a masterpiece. Yeah. Two is a lot of damn fun. It's fun, but it doesn't really add up to anything new. Uh, while the uh, the two more, more popular Fantastic Four movies, I can't ever argue, are good. They get a lot of character right with the actual core four of them mm. not at all with dr doom but you yeah. know it's yeah it's yeah. i'm a diehard fantastic four fan so it's just like i've just been looking for something to like in these movies yeah and i couldn't find anything in the josh trank movie because it's like look it will it's it, like okay admit acknowledging that the studio forced him to change like the whole third act of the movie mm-hmm. uh the movie he was making was essentially uh, 
like a David Cronenberg body horror movie, which is like the whole thing kind of just reminds me of The Dark Knight Rises. It's like, yes, this is a perfectly valid interpretation of the source material. But why would anybody want to watch it? Like, why would you want yeah. to do this? It's like, yeah, turns out Bruce Wayne was never actually really Batman. He mm-hmm. was just a spoiled rich guy pretending to be Batman by the end of The Dark Knight Rises. It's like, yeah, in real life, this is probably more like it would be. Mm-hmm. But why would I want to watch that? Why, why, why would you want to show this? It's just, especially when, like, you're nailing Bane and you're nailing Catwoman. It's just like, but Bruce, like, he's just not Batman. It's like, my, my knee hurts and my girlfriend exploded. I quit. That Batman doesn't quit. No. Uh, well, I know not liking uh, Dark Knight Rises and not liking Incredibles 2 so much as the first one. one I like the, the motorcycle sequence. One of the taglines of Scream 2 was sequels suck. Pulling from the Primus uh, school of advertising, Primus oh. used to have t-shirts that said Primus sucks nice. that they'd sell at the shows and then I had one and more than a few times. People would be like, fuck you, Primus is awesome. If I was just wearing it out and about, I'm like, why do you think I would wear a shirt with the word Primus on it that has tour dates on the back if you... Wow, you just missed this joke. But well, yeah, but, but then did you, you know, talk and bond? Yeah, but it was like, no, like, I got this at the show. Like, you know, it's just the initial reaction. But the tagline for a sequel was sequels suck. Yeah. And so I wanted to ask, what do you think some of the suckiest sequels are? Oof. Uh, most particularly in horror. Oh, since, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, because we could um, go on forever about all of them. You know, it's crazy because, like, I am a sucker for franchises. Like, I have, I like, I keep forgetting to actually pull out all of my big box sets of horror <laughs> movie franchises. Mm-hmm. Um, Chucky, the Chucky series had a lot of what, at the t- like what I used to think were bad ones, but I've come around. Like even like the later movies have fixed certain things. Like even number three is kind of good now in yeah. my eyes. Three was the only one I was ever not uh, nuts about, and mm-hmm. yeah, it's I've come around to it some, but it's still the one I go to. It's the weakest one. Um, like ironically, uh, the first two Puppet Master movies are some of the worst Puppet Master movies, and like number yeah. three, it's like wow. This is amazing. Yeah. <laughs> um, Somebody figured out what you should do with this. Yeah. Uh, Hellraiser 5, or no, 6. The Hellraiser Hellseeker. That, yeah, that was that pretty one. bad. Uh, a whole slew, well, the, if we count the Amityville movies. Let's say, I mean, there are some sequels to. in the franchise. We're talking sequel, sequel, not, yeah, yeah, not sequel, anthology. Sequel. Let's not go um, anthology horror, but like Exorcist 2. Oh, yeah, that's bad. That sucks. Yeah, that one's not it's, good at all. Yeah. Oh, so we're afraid of the devil and all of the devil stuff, and that's what really blew this one up mm-hmm. um, post-Rosemary's Baby of we're a, we're a God-fearing nation right now. Um, so let's say that the devil might not be real and it's all psychic phenomena. Yeah. Sure. Why not? Why? Man, that movie's a mess. It's not good. It's from its core concepts through every bit of execution. But luckily, Richard Burton was really into the source material and cared about the movie. Very much so. The source material, you mean, of course, his flask. Yes, indeed. Okay. Like, he was that, deep into that. That was, like, the one where, like, they, like, met the con Max von Sydow to come back. Oh, God, For, like, a little right. bit, like, flashbacks. Yeah. Um, arguably, all of the sequels to The Howling are terrible. I like some of them along the way, but I'm due for a rewatch on that series. They're, they're not good. I, I rewatched number two recently. And I was like, wow, this is two extraordinarily bad. bad. I want it like a two and seven are in competition for the worst howling sequel. But I kind of like three and five. Uh, three, three is okay. Three is too goofy to not kind of like a little yeah. bit. I have it on DVD. Uh, five is, five the, is the murder Agatha mystery Christie one. one. Yeah. That's good. Four is boring. Yeah. Um, like two and seven are just barely watchable. Yeah. Honestly, I don't even know if they. I have. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, Silent Hill two is awful. Um, but granted, you have to have enjoyed Silent Hill one, right? Which, which not everybody did. I not did. everybody. I loved the first one. I think it's amazing. That was like in the running. Yeah. I, I've started my horror watching. Where this is the last week of. September and I've already started my horror viewing. 
Yes. Yeah, I just was in the mood and that was in the running for it, but I decided to go with, you know, not miserable. Yeah. Um, um, I still, I know that we're divided on our final takeaway. Like uh-huh. both of us have our pluses and minuses to Elm Street 2. I well, still I like Elm Street 2 a lot. Right. And I, I, I still have not come around. I appreciate yeah. a lot of elements of it, but yeah. I think it looks so cheap. It does. It just, it looks like. Well, it's kind of like, it was fun. In the Friday the 13th movies, uh, Phil, the, the, the people behind the scenes, uh, it really matters who's there in terms of the look of the film. Because, like, uh, Friday the 13th Part 4 looks like a modern 80s movie. Like, a right. movie that came out in 1984. Uh, the subsequent one, uh, New Beginning, looks like it was made in the middle of the 70s. Yeah. For some reason, the, with the lighting and everything. And you see random bits of clothing that are clearly 80s clothing. But yeah. it just doesn't look right. And, and then, I mean, there's the 80s mod new wave breakdancer girl. Yeah. There's her and uh, the himbo guy that gets, like, the eyes yeah. squished. He's dressed like an 80s guy. And then uh, with uh, Friday the 13th Part 6, it is once again purely, like, this is an 80s movie made in the 80s. Yeah. Uh, and it's, and, but it's even more specifically that late 80s. Yes. There's a there's a tone uh, to a lot of the lighting and a lot of the effects. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. So Nightmare, the first Nightmare on Elm Street looks like a '80s movie, like it looks mm-hmm. like a modern '80s movie. And then number two, for some reason, looks like it's a '70s after school special. Right. And I don't understand why. Like, like I acknowledging that Jack Shoulders probably just not a great filmmaker, but you know what the hell happened here. But there's a lot of goofiness to it. Like, yeah, I, for the longest time, I just hated it. Uh, but then I came around on it uh, because it's my favorite makeup for Freddy. I think he looks the scariest he ever looks in that movie. Okay. Um, when you see, like, kind of, like, the makeup in light, like, well, when it's lit so that you can see it. It's just like, he looks gnarly in that movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I just, so much of the lighting in that movie isn't mm-hmm. good. So a lot of times, I'm not sure if they're purposely obscuring him yeah. or if it's just that they didn't set up good lights. Yeah, no. Yeah, I, I agree. Mean, yeah, the sets look cheap, the furniture looks cheap, the lighting is... The exploding right. parakeet didn't look cheap. Yeah, it did. <laughs> it's, uh, Bad horror. I mean, yeah. it's, it's like, it, like, like it's tricky suck, because suck. we like so many of them. Right, and there's a lot of camp value to a lot of them, but sometimes, like, again, Exorcist 2, I don't think even has camp value. No. Whereas Exorcist 3 is a pretty good time. Oh, overall. absolutely. Um, Candyman 3 is no fun at all. Oh, God, it's awful. Uh, Candyman 2 is okay, but, well, it's like... I'm softened on 2. Well, it's one of those... I did a triple feature one time where it was a... Uh, we just made this groundbreaking horror movie. Here's an okay sequel. Like, yeah. the sequel is just, this is, if this was just a normal horror movie release, yeah. it would have been fine. But it's because it's the sequel to The Fly. This is not up yeah. to snuff. Even though we it's just, a great little monster yeah. movie. We just did something wholly original, groundbreaking, and really we're talking about, here's a by-the-numbers sequel. Yeah. And... Uh, yeah, Candyman 2 was very by the numbers. Just like, it's good. well, this is working. Um, it's like a band following up. A, they finally have their breakout hit song, so their next album sounds too much like that song instead of the stuff that yeah. people have been listening to them for a while. I kind of feel like REM did that after um, they broke out. Like, Green was a great album, but that's that was like their breakout. And then mm-hmm. out of time, I felt like was kind of chasing the sound of Green rather than growing like they had been. They were ready to make some money, and they wanted right. to make some money. Hence. And that's, <laughs> But they took the safety route. Right now, the train is rolling. Yeah. Let's just do this for a bit. We'll get back to artistic in, in a bit. Yeah. I'm not saying there's no artistic merit to either. I'm just saying that, like, the motivation was different. Sure. Now that money was in their hand, they're like, cool, um, we can work with this for a while. Yeah. So Candyman 2 was that. Candyman 3 was just the worst, like, telephone game of what is this franchise about. When you have, again, the the other Candyman movies are 
you know, about inner city issues mm-hmm. and very much about, you know, the black experience in America. The gothic, the, the gothic romance angle right. to the whole thing, and which they make oddly incestual on the second one. Yeah. Or they, they don't make it incestual, but they replace a uh, romantic relationship with a, a familial relationship. Okay. Like, yeah. In terms, so it's just kind of like this. You want it to serve the same beats as that, but now it's he's she's his great great granddaughter somehow. Yeah, and it's not great. You know why I'm having trouble with this? Look, because usually if I like the original movie, I will figure out ways to like the sequels. And that's why I'm asking about ones that break that. Yeah, and that's why I feel like it was a more interesting question then. But like, I I I can think of like a bunch of sequels that I don't like, but the I didn't like the first movie either. Like, I don't really like any of the Leprechauns at all. Yeah, but it's not it's not a cliff you're falling off of. Yeah, no, no, no. Yeah, this is what I'm saying. Why I'm having trouble with this? But that's that's a good question though. Like, because honestly, Scream is like the one that I really liked the first one, and I thought just. The minute they announced the second one, it's like, you know, you're losing all of the cool points that you had with that this first idea by just turning it into another horror franchise. Right, which is a kind of weirdly, yeah, that's what we just said about some of the other stuff of like, mm-hmm. yeah, this is working, let's, can we keep this original or are we cashing the checks? Yeah. And... For you, it was cashing the checks on the screen. One for me, mm. it was oh, you're exploring new things. You actually are taking this place. Is you've just set up the rule set for this RPG. Now we have different campaigns we can do each time. Mm. That this one's going to be about the second entry, like the sequel, whereas other in the franchise down the road take on other expansion packs. Sure, I know you would have wanted to talk about. Oh, no, that was it. That was was literally it. Cool. Because I I have... This is the last one that I've seen all the way through already. Uh, But I'm going going in with fresh eyes to see if I was too harsh on it. Yeah. And um, I actually saw uh, in one of the horror groups, I think that we're both in, but just one of the Facebook horror groups, somebody... Did a rewatch of the franchise. I'm on a Facebook group. Thought you were in one of the like it was like one of the Joe Bob uh, driving groups or any of that or. I don't know which ones you're into. I don't know. All right, I felt like I seen you post on them, but maybe not. No, Um, it's fine. It's just I'm not on Facebook that much. That's why I'm just neither am I. I I literally, I basically open it, see the groups, see if I got messages, kind of hop off. Like in terms of non horror movies, like. None of the teenage, the, the first three Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movies, the second, neither two nor three are good. Like, no. At all. Like, you can see it a lot with, like, action movies. Damn it. I still see, I like so many of the Terminators. I like so many of the Rambos. Yeah. Um, I like all, I like the usually Predators. There's a, usually a really good movie has good momentum, at least going into the second one. There's not yeah, the immediate... Yeah. Flip to garbage. Yeah. Although, like, after... Uh, well, Terminator and Alien, it's after the second one. That's the drop-off. Right. Like, we had this... Somehow, we had this even better or comparably great sequel, and now everything after that is up at utter shit. Yeah. Well, that's, like, the original creator, or at least Terminator. Actually, both of them are following James Cameron. Yeah. And the man just knows how to make it blockbuster. Mm-hmm. He didn't really have control over the Terminator franchise after that, and so they got to keep making them, and it's been studio to studio to studio, with intermittently maybe some notes from him here and there, but like, he hasn't been hands-on. He's got his own thing going. The check's cash. Yeah. With Screams, I feel like there's a momentum going through. Uh There's a consistency of Kevin Williamson and Wes Craven for three of the four on the front ends, uh, Williamson dropping out for three. Uh, wow. He outlined it, but I don't know how closely that was followed. But it's still one idea being explored for the most part throughout. And for me, that's what I've kind of gravitated towards in my favorite franchises. Mm-hmm. So again, why I like the Chucky stuff is there's a through line, there's a consistency of the writer wanting to take this idea of Killer Doll and everything we've used it for so far, what else can we do? Where can we take Chucky? Where can we take now this supporting cast of characters and still make it fun, scary, and something that's not boring to us, so hopefully not you, the audience, as well. Mm-hmm. And so, like, I totally am into that. 
I'm very curious to see where you take this. Uh, as I mentioned, I started I mentioning. It would have helped if I was into Ned Campbell. If I was into, I, I don't find Sidney Prescott that compelling a character. Like, okay. like that might have been helpful. And also, you know, that's a, the goofy. That, that's one of the goofy things about the Scream movies versus uh, most of the other horror franchises. The other horror franchise kill the people off. Like, you may make it through a bunch of them, mm-hmm. but, like, Scream, we get, like, the core three guys keep making it through all of these movies. Why not, though? Like, I mean... Because Dewey, sh- Dewey like, gets nearly killed in every single thing. He's, but, he's like, um... I'm saying... Dr. It, Chilton. I'm saying it makes it different from other horror franchises, and you have some legacy characters that don't make it on occasion. Yeah. And so they are still all up for grabs at any point. But not really. There's still a there's a heavier value to some of the bigger names as you go along mm-hmm. in a franchise, but it doesn't mean they're safe. And it opens it up that it's not the ludicrous, how does this killer keep coming back? You really can have a different killer every time because it's a different person and that person can have a different motive and a different gimmick. So you still get a murder mystery each movie. And if that's the core idea, the first one, it's not so much that we loved Billy and Stu. It's that we liked trying to figure out who the killer was. So if they give us that each movie, to varying degrees of you can call it or not, it's still a fun game that they're playing. And I feel like that's... Mm-hmm. Part of the enjoyment for me right. is not just figuring it out, but then going back through the movie and seeing where they laid the crumbs and what they did right and wrong on it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So what I was uh, starting to say about the Facebook group was that somebody put up a poll, rank your rank the screen movies, favorite to least favorite. Mm-hmm. Uh, most consistent favorite was the first one. I mean, come on. But it was really interesting to watch a lot of the breakdowns. Um, a good chunk of people had number two as their second favorite or first favorite. Hmm. Um, I've gone back and forth. That's weird. Mm. We'll yeah. I mean, I just, I love the franchise, but three was almost universally at the bottom of the list. Um, there were some people that had it higher. And then um, I was surprised at how many people had four uh, up there as the number two spot. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, it was an informal poll and it was just a bunch of people on the internet, but Everybody's favorite I mean, is that, a complete that, that, and utter jumble. Yeah. Like it's not one of these like everybody agrees that Friday the Thirteenth Part Eight is pretty weak. Yeah, but then again, I mean, everybody agrees that Scream the First is the best one. Yeah, but some people do put it. I mean, with anomalies, some people put a cup, some of them above it. But yeah, it's you know, it's the original. The rest of the jumble is so much more mixed than on any other franchise whenever somebody puts those things up. On a Friday the 13th, you're usually going to see four and six towards the top of the charts. Mm. But you'll rarely see somebody say, I don't know, I go eight, three, six. Yeah. It's not as standardized as a lot of the franchise's reviews are. That's right. So, I mean, that's interesting. Yeah. So that's why I think it's going to be interesting for us to, again, go into these knowing, well, your rankings could be all of them suck except the first when we get to the end. Or maybe you come around and say, you know what? Now I get it. Uh, now I'm into this. And you rewatch them all three times to get a good ranking. I doubt that's going to happen. I doubt it as well. But, man, I would love to be pleasantly surprised. Right. <laughs> I'll tell you what, why don't we hop in? All right. Does the sequel outdo the original? It's got to be bigger. By about four minutes, I believe. I swear to God. So, gentle listeners, the thing to keep in mind is that this is 100% Pat's fault. (laughs) I am the one who (laughs) bought the recorder. I am the one who... (laughs) Did not realize that you needed batteries in addition to the bus power, um, or that if you jostle it the wrong way when you're trying to close out the file, it'll just delete everything. It's insane. Like, how is this still the state of recording technology that it's not, like, it doesn't write the file until you hit stop. Right. Like, where is it saving it? It's got to be in a cache somewhere. Somewhere. But apparently it is not, because I went through every possible option digging through the device. Mm -hmm. Um, I ran multiple scrubs over the SD card, everything. Yeah. It's it, it just if you don't hit save at that moment, my god, it evaporates 
And it made me think a lot about just existence in general and what happens when we die. Fair. So, this is all to explain that we finished watching Scream 2. We recorded, honest to God, a two-hour spirited but civil debate. Uh Uh-huh. Pat could attest. We, we neither of us went jerky on on each other. Yeah, we both stood our ground. Yes. and yet made salient points consistently throughout. And now, two three weeks later, we're going to see if we can recreate that because the file went away the thing immediately. Went, it just it was like it, it was. We had to just neither of us reacted. We all we were both just kind of sitting there dumbfounded. As we tried to figure out, confirm, like, did it? Is it gone? Is there a way we can get it back? Let's just let's just not react. Let's just not yeah. do anything. It's the same until response we're in different tra- places. Yeah. <laughs> it, it was the same response to tragedy. I always liken to that last section of Clue mm. when they're walking around. And they just are finding more bodies, and they just look and they're like, okay, and they just move to the next one. Yeah, it was that level of, yep, this is bad. Yeah. All right. Anyway, what's next? It's not like, good. This is not going to process right now. Let's not even pretend it will. No. So. So we watched Scream 2, and I was not – my opinion did not change on Scream 2. Nor did mine. Yeah. It really, we, we kind of just dug in even harder. I, I feel like the – whereas we had all the, the genius, the – not necessarily flash in the pan, but like a cultural moment with the first one. Mm-hmm. And now we came back and we just did it all over again, only less good and markedly less subtle. And I one of the things I love about Scream 2 is that that's what sequels do. Whereas the first one not just pointed out the tropes of horror movies, but used them and found new ways to incorporate them. So it's not saying like, oh, we're not going to do that. It's like, we're going to do that. We're just telling you what the magic trick is before we do it in your face anyway. Yeah. And this one did that with sequel tropes. It did it with higher body count, uh, more disposable characters. It had three more dead bodies than the previous one. It is more. Yes, but it's not, you know, excitingly more. Uh, Okay. All right. I mean, to taste, you know. Um, But no, I thought it did all of the fun things that a sequel does. It gets a little bit nuttier. It's a Mm -hmm. bigger budget. There's... um, It didn't feel like it was that much bigger of a movie, though. Really? Like, I I feel like most of the money, like, was in that opening sequence with Omar Epps and Jada Pinkett. There's a Uh, lot of extras in there, yeah. A lot of extras, just a lot of, like, throwaway stuff that's not going to be used again. But then, it's just the rest of the characters running around on the quad. Yeah, like, car chase. First one didn't have a car chase. Uh, they had a car stunt. In the first one, but yeah. But, no, but yeah, not as, wait, there wasn't a, it's well, the okay. same thing. It wasn't a car chase in this one either. It's just one it, guy on a car. It was a much more <laughs> elaborate car sequence. It was, with the worst cops I've ever seen since Saw the first. It's like two yeah. cops are in a car and Ghostface like scares one and murders the other and then the other one is driving and somehow Ghostface gets the upper hand on that guy as well. Mm-hmm. Well, he gets a steel beam through the head because the car skids off to the side into the back of a which my construction site, yeah. Yeah. Uh I mean it's an elaborate kill, it's an incidental knock out the cops kill, which again you got to do sure. to have them. Um, Unless they're Dewey, because Dewey cannot die. I mean, he's the heart and soul. I like that. I like David Arquette. And I like him in these movies. I liked him in this. Uh, I I was surprised at how much I enjoyed Mm -hmm. him and his character and how he is a doofus, but he's giving uh, Gail Weathers shade when when it's deserved, and he comes up with a couple of zingers. It was more my confusion was... Why are we using the Broken Arrow music every time he's on screen? So that I actually, I didn't even look into it. I just, another podcast I listened to Mm -hmm. made mention of something. So I followed up. Sure. Apparently, um, Marco Beltrami Mm -hmm. did write a score for Dewey. Uh, It was a theme inspired by Westerns and Mm -hmm. in particular, Ennio Marconi. 
And while he was doing the composing, uh, they were also starting to show, you know, test audiences the movie. Mm -hmm. And so they laid in the Broken Arrow track um, as temp music for that audience. And they just left it there. The Weinsteins (laughs) thought that the audience responded very well to the temp music. It's very good. And said, well, we'll just go with that. And Craven and Beltrami both were like, well, no. We have music composed for the movie, which is what you do with movies. The temp track, I don't know if you know this as big Hollywood producers, is temporary. That's what the whole temp part means. But no, they they insisted that that be Dewey's theme, which means that for future sequels, because Dewey makes it out of this one. Yes, he does. Even though he is (coughs) murdered even harder than in the first one. Mm Mm-hmm. But he's fine. He's got that Ken Dewey spirit. Ken Dewey spirit. That that reminded me of um, the music in Spider-Man 3 was all composed by Nanny Elfman, but it was not his final draft of the music. Really? And uh, apparently Raimi just said, fuck it, we're just going to use this. Because I don't know if you know this. Sam Raimi did not like or enjoy any part of making Spider-Man 3. No, he did not. And uh, Danny Elfman was, like, quoted as being so angry about it that he swore he would never work with Sam Raimi again. Oh, wow. They have buried the hatchet, apparently, because Elfman's done at least a couple of movies, if not most of Raimi's movies since then. But, yeah, uh, yeah, I can can understand the frustration. But, yeah, Yeah. temp tracks. Like, there was, like, one of the best temp track stories is the end of Buckaroo Banzai, Mm -hmm. when they're all doing the big walk during the credit sequence. Yeah. The music hadn't been finished yet, and so uh, the director goes to uh, the composer's like, well, we need something for them to walk that's going to be the same beat so that they'll be walking in the same beat. And so he's like, well, Uptown Girl has the same beat, so they are, (laughs) in fact, on set walking in time to Billy Joel's Uptown Girl. Wow. Which just makes the movie even better for me. Because well, Billy Joel. Yeah. Uh, not temp track, but render outs. Um, two stories on render outs for the music for a movie. One is going old school, uh, Basket Case. Okay. So there's now the trend of going back and doing remasters on a lot of classic horror scores that hadn't had it. Mondo seems to make money on it, so they will continue to do it for the foreseeable future. Exactly. So a uh, friend of the show, though I don't believe he listens... Uh, Gus Fucker. Russo, um, he did the score <laughs> to Basket Case and Brain Damage, mm-hmm. and when we told him about, like, oh, they're doing a lot of these reissues, I don't know if you've got any, you know, the old files around or any of that, and he's like, they'd be all on tape, but he dug through his basement and found the box. Nice. And um, re-scanned them and then worked with my buddy Sean to get everything cleaned up, and they just they went through, they did some... Fairly fast remasters, but luckily he had preserved them well mm-hmm. and sent them over. And the guys, I think it was Mondo that put that one out. Basket case? I'm not sure. I can't remember. Yeah. But um, Nine times out of ten. Yeah. It is out there and available, as is brain damage. Um, if they didn't know I was telling the story, I would have double-checked. <laughs> but they basically got the files that are like, oh, God, these are better than anything we ever get. We usually nice. get, like, horribly aged yeah, and, like, static. The thing that was in the wet G. basement. Right, exactly. So they're, they're used to having to do a lot more work to mm-hmm. do the remasters. And they're like, oh, you've already done all this. This sounds amazing. Wait a second. This isn't the squirt of basket case. What? And went back and forth, at which point realized, I mean, Gus, I guess, knew this, but kind of maybe it kind of forgotten it over the years but um, when they rendered out the final print of Basket Case Mm -hmm. apparently they only rendered one of the audio channels on the score so it was literally just half of the track oh my god so there is a complete stereo score to the movie and you're just getting I think it's the left channel oh no is what's in the movie and that's what people have known for years so the reissue there was the concern of do we release just the left channel because that's what people know or here's the actual complete sc- score is composed, I feel and like then they had to do a double disc, you know. Yeah, I feel I um, they did release the complete you yeah. know work, but um, I also want to know or hey, 
now we got to release the re-release the movie. And that's mm-hmm. the other thing is why not put out a version of the movie with the actual proper score intact? So that'd be fun. Yeah. Um, the alternate on the bad way to go is a little movie we showed a different Mondo, Mondo Baltimore, Love on a Leash, well, where there's this composer yeah, that, credited that for the bad. movie. There wasn't really any. There, there was wasn't music in it. Yeah. No, that uh, apparently the music file did not render out whatsoever. So you have montages <laughs> and you just have all these yeah. clips of silence as people are, as a couple's walking through the park or doing whatever. Mm-hmm. And there's just dead silence. Oh, I remember. Yeah. Dear God, Love on a Leash. Oh, that movie. But yeah. So I just, I feel like the whole movie is just too navel gazing. And like, I don't think it's saying anything. Like, I, I hear you on uh, if it had been pointing out tropes, uh, sequel tropes, and making fun of those as much. I, I think it would have been more successful for me. But it really just feels like we're doing the same movie over again. We're going to have, like, three separate overt discussions about sequels, but we're not really going to show that in the plotting or the characters. I think they name the big bits, but I think they do a lot of other smaller things. Mm -hmm. Like uh, one thing I had pointed out was how a lot of the signs and lettering and such around the movie are hints where the first movie didn't go that obvious. Fair. And I did go back before you got here and I did rewatch the hospital sequence. And this time I did see the arrow pointing to Timothy Oliphant, which Mm -hmm. was kind of cute. But I feel like those things... They're there, but I think those would enhance a good movie, but they're not enough to make it a good movie. And if it's for not. me, loving what I, I saw them doing, yeah. to my eyes, I thought they were enhancing it. I yeah. thought they were basically saying, hey, remember the first one's a mystery? This one's a mystery, too. We're going to really just help you out here. Mm-hmm. We are just, you know, you're watching a mystery. This is Scooby-Doo. This is... The animation is going to be a little bit different. We're on the part of the cliff that's going to break off, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. I think they were they were wearing on their sleeve like, oh, everyone thinks they're clever now. Everyone's going to try and air quote figure it out. So yeah. let's kind of rub their faces in it at the same time as have like the ending of the first one. There was motivation. It was mm-hmm. set up. It was there. But and since you weren't, off. and it paid off. But since you weren't looking for a twist, it mm-hmm. didn't have to do as much work to justify itself. Mm-hmm. Whereas this one, it's a sequel. It's trying to justify itself. So the motivations and the connections and the backstory for the killers mm-hmm. is just that much bigger and more convoluted, and yet okay. still legacy tied uh, okay, in strange ways. The, yeah. The thing of it, though, <laughs> uh, two things in response to that. But I do feel you, like, when it gets to Laurie Metcalf and Timothy Oliphant explaining everything, that is bigger and sillier in a sequel sort of way, and Mm -hmm. you're you're definitely right there. It doesn't pay off as well, because I don't know how they do it better. Like, what was the secret sauce in the first one where you're not... There's a mystery as to who the killer is, but you're right. It's not, like, the forefront... Like, everything hinges on figuring out who it is. And then mm-hmm. when it's revealed that it's to, oh, this is a fun thing. Like, we had, everybody had their, their who they had mm-hmm. their bet. But then, haha, it's this. But it made sense with this pool of suspects. And it tracks backwards and tracks forwards. It just, it works that mm-hmm. it's, it's Stu and Billy. This one, when it's revealed that it's Timothy Oliphant and Laurie Metcalf, are just like, yeah, they were in the movie. But didn't really give a shit about them at all. Like, they weren't really part of the story. They were much. they were new characters, and so therefore hanger-ons, and therefore, yeah. I mean, suspects. But they were, in the first one, you think there is one killer. Yeah. And, yeah, there's a mystery, but it's more about, you know, being a slasher movie. Yeah. And you figure the ending is just going to be whatever. When there is actually a complex and rich Payoff and it's fun. It's, it's, it's that's it's what make that's what makes it. Yeah. Um, with the second one, this is pardon the pun process of elimination. That yeah. is how they do it, and I think it was a play on that idea. It and they be. use that sometimes as a crutch in other ones. Fair, but the other thing, and I th- I really feel the other thing that you mentioned, the rubbing of the audience's nose and things. Mm-hmm. I really think like Wes Craven and Kevin Williamson had a very antagonistic 
uh, opinion of their audience when making this one. If only for the first 15 minutes, the Omar Epps, Jada Pinkett uh, theater sequence, that is like just under funny games level hatred for the horror movie going audience. But that's what, that's what's, that's another thing sequels do. The sequel, a lot of sequels, especially hate their audience. A lot of them. Um, a lot of times it's like, you wanted me to do another one. Fine. Fuck you. Here you go. Like, look at when Carpenter has been forced to do a sequel or, well, not forced, but well, yeah, I mean, I Halloween say, too. Halloween 2 had... But he didn't do that. Yeah, he, he, he did. Okay, he okayed it. Like, yeah. he, he filmed... I think he only filmed, like, one actual sequence in the movie. I think it's the... He uh, the, did the a lot of... Around. He did a lot of the pickup stuff when it went into reshoots, basically. He went in and... He did reshoots on 2 while they were shooting TV scenes for 1 so it could air on NBC uh-huh. uh, to run out, to pad out the runtime. Mm-hmm. So he was on set and he was going in and doing a little bit of cleanup. Okay. Plus he wrote the script that was initially, you know. Well yeah, but but I mean and he wrote the script with Deborah Hill and a bunch of beer is the story. I'm just saying like but still that one just still feels kind of bigger. Like we get more people kills where we're Michael's roaming around the town more, and then like the hospital set up adds for more stuff. Like, but it, it abandons the suspense of the first one for let's just do big kills, let's do yes. gory, gory, gory. True. It changes its tone, and in a very fine, fuck it, whatever, give them what they want. I mean, I guess, but I never felt like they were really shitting on the audience. I don't. But, I like, don't know that this movie is shitting on the audience. I think it's playing into that trope, but I think it's playing in that character of that. I I I don't. If it could if be they are, if, if they are, they did a good job in the a better job in the first one of saying, "Hey, we're all part of this, and we're all laughing together," as opposed to Jada Pinkett has been murdered in the movie theater, and look at the this ghoulish audience. Who doesn't realize that she's actually been murdered, especially considering that there's all these William Castle gags going around the, the around the the premiere of this movie, Stab, mm. and now aren't they the worst people? Aren't the audience of this film, the film that you like, aren't you the worst people well, in the world? It's like, what is a sequel but saying, hey, let's bring the characters we love back because we want to see them die. I mean... Or potentially die. It is... You want to see more murder? Hey, remember this is still a person. Like, well, I don't. It's yeah. It's still like dropping the gauntlet of. I always care. I know, <laughs> but it's. I mean, when people want to see a sequel, I'm so excited to see Scream Two. Yeah. More people are gonna die. Well, yeah, it's a bigger movie now. It's a bigger movie, but they're making a statement on you're not supposed to want the people to die. I mean, I don't, but I do. But that opening but sequence movie. is a, the audience of a big horror sequel or a big horror movie wants to see people die yes. and they're just saying just remember before we start the whole movie that's kind of fucked up and I think I, I, I agreed but, but it's still kind of counterintuitive to be going after the the people that are paying money for your product this but is the be- product you're making yeah. hey Wes Craven could have said no he could have said no but I think he had more fun making that statement I think he likes think to that, fuck with the audience. I think he's just shitting on them. That's not fucking with them. That's just shitting on them. Eh, potato, potato. And there's only one way to say potato, so. That is true. Yeah. Potato. Mm-hmm. Uh, How about second arguments, Mr. Tom? But I, I just, I, there was just, there was too many alternate or like additional versions of Scream running around through this movie. Like we have the introduction of the stab films, which mm-hmm. could be that that's could be a fun idea. Uh, like I do. I, 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 I appreciate that. I, I, I like what they do with those uh, through the course of it. But then we also have to have uh, Sydney is in the play, the fall of Troy, which regardless of what the plot is visually, they are essentially reenacting the the, the movie where this, these, all these robed figures with these weird uh, caricature-like masks are go- trying to stab Sydney She's surrounded Prescott. by caricatures trying to kill her, yeah. Yeah. And she's fated to go through this. Just, we keep, the, like, how many different levels do we, like, reflect? Too many, that's the point. That's not a fun point. It's not I, entertaining. I, I, for me, it is. I think it's, I think it's great. 
Is it silly? I, well, yeah, no. I we're, love. We're, we're not changing I, each other's minds. We're not changing minds. minds, but like we are saying the <laughs> yeah. same things. We're just coming yeah. down on. We've we've got cilantro yeah. here, and we do like I do like we are we do agree on the movie. We just agree on what it disagree on what it means or what it how we how we come back from it. Yes. So. But yeah, I, I love that like the too many ideas in a basket thing. Yeah. I mean, that is that's one of my favorite things about sequels is when you overcomplicate them mm-hmm. because sometimes it pays off amazingly. Like Terminator Two is an overcomplicated version of Terminator One, and it's mm-hmm. great. Yeah, Evil Dead Two is a slightly more complicated or it's a bigger budget version of. Evil Dead 1. Right. Mm-hmm. And the first movie squeezes into the first half hour of the second one. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you have stuff like Happy Death Day to You, uh, to you yeah. uh, or To You Too, or Happy Death Day to You. Gotcha. Right, to you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which is not bad. No, it's a f- super fun movie, but they try and over-explain the fir- how it happens. Okay. And they overcomplicate it, but I think they took it a little too seriously when they were complicating it on making sure it worked instead of saying, fuck it, let's just go crazy. Yeah. Emphasize and, science fiction, emphasize fiction. Yeah. It's so like that's a case where the overcomplications gave for some super fun sequences, mm-hmm. but they tried to midi chlorine in it. Yeah, it's a little too much. Like and also could have just had just done one. And then it would have just been, everybody remembers how good Happy Death Day is. Well, the thing is, they did the second one and they got that lesson. That's why now we have, like, from the team who gave you that. Yeah. We have, yeah, uh, like, Freaky was a, was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't seen Totally Killer just yet. I haven't seen Totally Killer yet. And they, I just saw a trailer uh, the other night for It's a Wonderful Knife. Uh, which looks like a lot of fun, too. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. But, yeah. So, yeah. I mean. Well, like, you can... I like it when they take a big swing and they throw too many ideas of like, instead of just picking one idea that might not work for the sequel, let's try all of them just in case this is the last time they give us this much money. Gremlins 2. I just don't see the money on the screen in Scream 2. Like, I mean, it wasn't see a giant big... jump in budget. Yeah, but I mean, it, none of the deaths seem bigger. Like most, most of the movie feels like a rehash of the first one. Much the same way like Ghostbusters 2 is essentially a rehash of Ghostbusters 1. But you get a little, a handful more gags. You, you get, like, a few more bigger things. But, I mean, overall, not as much. Like, Scream 2 and Ghostbusters 2 kind of feel like in the same wheelhouse. Of, I can see that. I can see that. We're doing this. We're, do, we're, following, um, we're following the template that we set up. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, we're, we're going to play a little bit here and there where it's safe. And apparently an early draft of Ghostbusters 2 is way different, sure. which is what Bill Murray had signed on to mm-hmm. and was fairly upset at the fact that it became such an echo of the original. Yeah, I, I was about to say, you want to talk about so being able to deliver an, an entertaining movie despite not wanting to make the movie at all. Yeah. Bill Murray and to yeah. a degree I think Harold Ramis wasn't he didn't he, love coming back for it he again. he likes the early script mm-hmm. but by, again by the time they got to what they filmed well, who changed was it, was it Reitman making um, the I guess Reitman in the studio I don't know if, mm-hmm. I don't know because I know Aykroyd is going to go bigger and weirder so I don't think he's the one <laughs> yeah, saying let's make it the first one again right yeah <laughs> so but we'll see but who knows yeah but, but anyway Scream um, 2 yeah, I, I think that's about it. Uh, I mean, we have again, not like we're not joking. Like the last time this happened, we had two hours. It was it was it was a very solid, engaging conversation. Yeah, it was good. But I think we both got a lot out of, which is one of the reasons yeah. this version is going so smooth. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Like I still didn't like. I I don't love how there's like the movie is kind of going on two parallel tracks that don't inter- that only intersect through Randy. Like, there's the college kids with Sydney and Randy, but then Randy ends up interacting more with Gail, Dewey, the police, and uh, Laurie Metcalf to a lesser extent than Sydney does. Like, Sydney should be the linchpin of all the stories. One of the things I think was nice about this one, I don't know if, like, I don't know what element of design it was towards the production, but. Letting Gail or letting, yeah, Gail, Dewey, Randy, 
take more center stage because the first movie was so much Sydney's movie. Sure. And this one, yeah, step back a little bit. It's not, it's about Sydney, but Sydney's got to deal with like Cotton Weary and stuff like that. Mm. There are two different killers that are not as intertwined as the first movie. The first movie, mm. they are partners. Yeah. Like they are like well, and they're also they're high close, school. Close. They're also high school students. Right. Like they're in the same group, and right. so now we've got that. But and they have they have a they have a killer's chemistry. Well, yeah, but and then this one, it's two separate killers, and you can hear the difference in the killers. Like knowing who they are and going back, we were even noting yeah. it's this one now and this one now because each one has their own motives, their own personality, their own thing they're trying to do. Um, the one gets the knife wipe much worse than the other. Mm-hmm. Um, and both of them are just trying to rehash the thing that was the case. They want to mock Sydney with the original, just like Craven and Williamson are mocking Scream with Scream 2. Again, it's... it's I, I hear all of what you're saying, and yes, definitely all of that, but that doesn't explain the bifurcatedness of the movie that well. That just explains that the killer's dynamic between the two. The I think two the killer's themselves. dynamic was like it's not really being reflected in that we have half of our cast is over here and the other half is over there, and they don't really enter and they don't really come together in a story that well mm-hmm. up until just like the very end. And I don't know. I, I, I <laughs> that's your argument is because of the, the the nature of the killers. My argument is I don't think they want. I don't think they thought that Nev Campbell was up for you know carrying this movie. I mean, I, I know I, you, she doesn't do much for me. Right? Yeah. I, 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 I like all throughout the movie, she's just so namby pamby about everything. Like we have the very beginning of the movie where she's totally. I'm over it. People are making prank calls. I don't give a shit yeah. about you. Yeah. Then she, it starts she opens up stuff as which and then goes into um into Frightened Rabbit a little more than For you like would think. The entire movie up until the end of the movie where she has to defend herself. And I do appreciate her using the theater as a weapon. Like cause mm-hmm. she knows how like she's been rehearsing she knows everything about this space and so she's able to defend herself uh using like the props the lighting just things Mm, to throw the killer experience uh to a degree to a degree but i would if she hadn't been the way she was for 80 percent of the movie i would agree with it more Mm. but she wasn't um well once she was on familiar ground she knew how to use it i mean but they should a lot of be familiar ground I mean, rehearsal space is rehearsal space. You get to know pretty well. Oh, no. I mean, I'm sorry. I mean, like, I thought you meant, like, familiar ground in terms of the plot, what's happening oh, no. to her. So Literally like, actual yeah. familiar ground. Like, instead of being chased all over the campus, yeah. like, she's in a spot where she knows where the rigging is and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. She also knows to do the final shot, just, you know, not even wait. Yeah. Um, Things that did, or one last, just absolutely crazy, there was no excuse for this, and I hate it, was the... Uh, Top Gun singing sequence with Jerry O'Connell in the cafeteria that was tonally wrong, not charming, just it ground the movie to a halt. I don't understand why this is there. I think it was just something they thought was fun. They were wrong. Uh, I'm I'm not so against it. Conversely, man, Lee Schreiber steals every scene that he's in in this movie. He is incredible playing this cotton weary, the... The person that was thought to be a killer in the first movie. Yeah, was wrongfully accused wrongfully does accused. not mean he's a nice dude. He is remarkably smarmy, which plays into, well, how creepy is this guy yeah. for real? Like, and, like, he might not have done that one, but he does seem pretty pissed. He seems very pissed. Like, and he's just great throughout it. Like, I within the last week or so, Phantoms was on Pluto, and... God, he's so good in Phantoms. Like, yeah. everybody is good in Phantoms, but... Mm-hmm. Rose McGowan again. Rose McGowan again. Uh, it's this, like, creepy police deputy throughout the whole movie. It's mm-hmm. just incredible. But, yeah, I thought he was really great. Laurie Metcalf's great. Timothy Oliphant is doing a lot with the bad dialogue throughout the whole movie. Well, yeah. But he's but doing his, it. His, and his character is fairly one note, but his character is kind of brought in to be... 
One note, one note. And I think that uh, one of the interesting threads, again, with the divide of everybody, I mm -hmm. feel like uh, Debbie Salt, by the way, uh, Larry Metcalf's character, okay. uh, just Doesn't is matter. salting the earth and, you know. She's Billy's estranged mother who had remarkable amounts of plastic surgery, so nobody could figure out it was Billy's mother until the very end when she says it. And Sydney Prescott goes, oh, she must have had a lot of plastic surgery. It was a red herring that wasn't even a red herring. It was a nothing. Mm -hmm. yeah, it goes to the, um, the end of Murder by Death. You don't get to just pull these things out at the end of the movie. You can't, as a detective, withhold things from the reader. Yes. Right. But I like that joke in that movie, too. Anyway, well, that's, um, but she... See, that movie is what this movie wanted to be. Poking, well, like, yeah. poking out, po poking at tropes, pointing them out, while still doing them well and in an entertaining way. Yeah. Which mean, the first screen does. Well, to, uh, to hop back to the other point, um, was that Debbie Salt was mainly going after the original Woodsboro crew. Whereas I feel like Oliphant's character oh, is particularly going after the new College kills. Kids. It's like, we need a body count. Like, you get to play. You get to kill, like, Sarah Michelle Geller or, you know. The like, Omar Epps and Jada Pinkett. Right. Like, you get to have all these fun kills and go have your fun. But these, these assholes are mine. Mm. They killed my son. Her in particular. But... Yeah. Let me have them, and you can have all the fun you want while we scare the shit out of them along the way. No, that may that that's an that's an interesting point. No, that's good. I wish that came across in the movie more. Uh, the divide of who yeah, like yeah. The, the different people, but yeah, now that you say it, like yeah, that makes more sense that she's always going after the Woodsboro people, and he's going after the the new college kids. Yeah, and those are the two arguments one could make of, well, what do you do with a second movie? Well, you have to go after the original. No, you have to have new kills. No, you have to, you know, you know let's have our cake and eat it, too. Yeah. And, yeah. Hmm. And how well does that work with itself? Mm. I did think the live phone call quad sequence where Randy is trying to keep the killer on the phone while they try to figure out where they are. Mm -hmm. That was the only legit excitement I felt through the whole movie. That, that's one of the top sequences of the franchise. Yeah, like, that was just, you know, going head to head because it was a fun, like, it's a fun change from the usual calls where it's like a girl, like a girl who's not into movie, horror movies or anything. And so she gets freaked out by everything. Actually, no, I mean, Drew Barrymore's character was into horror movies, surprisingly. Right. But like somebody that can go head to head right. uh, ver verbally. verbally yeah. uh, and to the point that. where he's like, oh, no, those guys knew their shit. You're a copycat. You don't know a fucking thing. Like, okay, yeah, I, we're worried, and you're coming after us, but more, you're insulting me right now. <laughs> like, literally, fuck you. Yeah. Like, he's he's pissed at the killer, not just for hunting, yeah. but, like, you really think that I'm, like, I'm a schmuck like this. Like... You're not you're not good at this game. Unfortunately, yeah. the game you're good at is the other one, which doesn't pan out well for him. No, but, they're pretty good at the stabbing when right. it, when when it all it's, comes down to it. And Randy was one of the better example or more successful examples of them trying to do a sequel trope because Randy is doing even more voices than he did in the first one. He's being yeah. even more obnoxious than he was in the first one, and just yeah. being generally a bigger character which that like definitely read and worked yeah like and also it doesn't take much to not like jamie kennedy on screen <laughs> i do enjoy him but at the same time i yeah i don't need him he, he he can he can be a bit much sometimes yeah but i don't know any final thoughts on, on the screen too um i thoroughly enjoy it i still do um i actually blanked on it but i've Yesterday I was at uh, the last Monster Mania at Hunt Valley, mm -hmm. and like ever, yeah, they were tearing down that hotel. Oh, wow. so it's the last convention at really? Hunt Valley. Oh, wow. uh, so no more, uh, no more shore leave, no more Far Point, no mm -hmm. more Mid Atlantic 
celebrity con. Jesus. They're going to be at other places. Yeah, in the area, but, but like that Mount hotel Valley was very convenient. <laughs> it was convenient, and it was just where we went since mm. God probably middle school. I've been going to shows up there. Yeah, small that was my comic first, conventions, uh, Star Trek convention. Yeah. Where I've had drinks with Doug Bradley. It's where I had drinks with you know Robert England or nice. you know like Bill Zabub. Um, there's a different scale sure, sure, sure. name on there, but um, I've had a lot of great conventions up there. I've mm. had a lot of great times. And anyway, at the show yesterday, um, I was helping my buddy Sean run a table for a Scream Team uh, releasing. They've got a lot of good stuff out there. Uh, Camp Killer, The Barn, mm-hmm. but. Um, Unpaid promo. But he went around the corner on a walk and he came back. He's like, hey, you gave me one years ago and I, you know, thought you might want it back. I found a Scream 2 hat and literally just handed yeah. me, found a Scream 2 hat. Nice. And I left it in the car. Oh, so. It's okay. okay. Yeah. I don't wear hats inside that often. Well, it's rude. Yeah. Or it's not considered polite. Something like that. Something like that. But uh, I... I still don't like this movie. <laughs> I did try. You did try. I, 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 and found, you I, fa- I found a lot of things to like in it, but yeah. I still don't. I still have not seen the conclusive evidence that we should keep making Scream movies. But I the next one. But you at least are seeing what some people appreciate about that, yes. even if it's not to your taste. Indeed. And that's, that's a lot of what all this is for. Exactly. So, but until next week. Get out. If you want to interact with us online, you can check us out on Instagram or Twitter at Amityville Show, or you can send us an email at podcastamityville at gmail.com. 